Day 3 of Totus Tuus's Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes With quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Letter Salvifici Dolores Within every suffering endured by man and also at the base of the entire world of suffering there inevitably arises the question Why? It is a question about the cause the reason, and equally a question about the purpose, why, and ultimately about the meaning. Not only does it accompany human suffering, but it seems even to determine its human content, that by which suffering is properly human suffering. Obviously, pain, especially physical pain, is widespread in the animal world. But only man, suffering, knows that he is suffering and asks himself the reason why. And he suffers in an even more profound human way if he does not find a satisfactory answer. This is a difficult question, as is another very similar one, namely that of evil. Why is there evil? Why is there evil in the world? When we put the question in this way, we are always, at least to a certain extent, asking a question about suffering too. Both these questions are difficult. When man puts them to man, men to men, and also when man puts them to God, Man, in fact, does not put this question to the world, even though suffering often comes to him from it. But he puts the question to God as the creator and lord of the world. And it is well known that on this question not only do many frustrations and conflicts arise in the relations of man with God, but also that the very negation of God can be reached. If, in fact, the existence of the world opens, so to say, the eyes of the human soul to the existence of God, to his wisdom, his power and his greatness, evil and suffering seem to obscure this image, sometimes in a radical way, and even more when one sees the daily drama of so much suffering when there's been no fault, and of so many faults without proper punishment. So this circumstance, perhaps more than any other, shows how important is the question of the meaning of suffering, and with what acuity must the question itself and every possible answer be examined. Man can put this question to God with all the emotion of his heart, and with his mind full of dismay and anxiety. And God expects the question and listens to it, as we see in the revelation of the Old Testament. In the book of Job, the question has found its most vivid expression. The story is well known of this just man, who, without any fault on his part, is tried by innumerable sufferings. 
he loses his possessions, his sons and daughters. And finally, he himself is afflicted by a grave illness. In this horrible situation, three old acquaintances in his home try to convince him, each in his own way, that since he has been struck down by such varied and terrible sufferings, he must have done something seriously wrong. For suffering, they say, always strikes a man as punishment for a crime. It is sent by God, who is absolutely just, and it finds its reason in the order of justice. It can be said that Job's old friends wish not only to convince him of the moral justice of the evil, but in a certain sense they attempt to justify to themselves the moral meaning of suffering. In their eyes, suffering can have a meaning only as a punishment for sin, therefore only on the level of the justice of God, who repays good with good and evil with evil. The point of reference in this case is the doctrine expressed in other Old Testament writings, which show us suffering as punishment inflicted by God for the sins of men. The God of Revelation is the lawgiver and judge to a degree that no temporal authority can see. For the God of Revelation is first of all the Creator, from whom comes, together with existence, the essential good of creation. Therefore, the conscious and free violation of this good by man is not only a transgression of the law, but at the same time an offence against the Creator, who is the first lawgiver. Such a transgression has the character of sin, according to the exact meaning of this word, namely the biblical and theological one. Corresponding to the moral evil of sin is the punishment, which guarantees the moral order in the same transcendent sense in which this order is laid down by the will of the Creator and Supreme Lawgiver. From this there also derives one of the fundamental truths of religious faith, equally based upon revelation, namely that God is a just judge who rewards good and punishes evil. For Thou, O Lord, art just in all that Thou hast done, and all Thy works are true and Thy ways right, and all Thy judgments are truth. Thou hast executed true judgments in all that Thou hast brought upon us, for in truth and justice Thou hast brought all this upon us because of our sins. The opinion expressed by Job's friends manifests a conviction which is also found in the moral conscience of humanity. The objective moral order demands punishment for transgression, sin and crime. From this point of view, suffering appears as a justified evil. The conviction of those who explain suffering as a punishment for sin finds support in the order of justice. This corresponds to the opinion expressed by a friend of Job. As I have seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Job, however, challenges the truth of the principle that identifies suffering with punishment for sin, and he does this on the basis of his own opinion, for he is aware that he has not deserved such a punishment, and in fact he speaks of the good he has done in his life. In the end, God himself reproves Job's friends for their accusations 
and recognises that Job is not guilty. His is the suffering of someone innocent, and it must be accepted as a mystery, which man is unable, with his own intelligence, to penetrate to its depths. The book of Job does not violate the foundations of the transcendent moral order, based upon justice, which are set forth by revelation in both the Old and the New Covenants. At the same time, however, this book shows with all firmness that the principles of this order cannot be applied in an exclusive and superficial way. If it is true that suffering has a meaning as punishment when it is connected with a fault, it is not true, however, that all suffering is a consequence of a fault and has the nature of a punishment. The figure of the just man Job is a special proof of this in the Old Testament. Revelation, the word of God himself, presents with complete frankness the problem of the suffering of an innocent man, suffering without guilt. Job was not punished. There was no basis for inflicting a punishment on him, even if he was subjected to a grievous trial. From the introduction of the book, it is apparent that God permitted this test by reason of Satan's provocation. For before the Lord, Satan had challenged the righteousness of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And if the Lord consents to test Job with suffering, he does it to show the latter's righteousness. The suffering was the character of a test. The book of Job is not the last word of revelation on this subject. In a way, it is a foretelling of the passion of Christ. But already in itself, it is a sufficient argument, because the answer to the question about the meaning of suffering is not unreservedly connected to the moral order based on justice alone. If such an answer has a fundamental and transcendent reason and validity, at the same time it is seen to be not only unsatisfactory in cases analogous to the suffering of the just man Job, but it even seems to trivialize and impoverish the concept of justice which we meet in Revelation. The book of Job poses, in an extremely acute way, the why of suffering. It also shows that suffering strikes the innocent, but it does not yet give the solution to the problem. Already in the Old Testament we note an orientation that tends to go beyond the concept that suffering has a meaning only as a punishment for sin, insofar as at the same time it emphasizes the educational value of suffering as a punishment. Thus, in the sufferings inflicted by God upon the chosen people, is included an invitation of his mercy, which corrects so as to lead to conversion. These punishments were designed not to destroy, but to discipline our people. Thus the personal dimension of punishment is affirmed. According to this dimension, 
The punishment has meaning not only because it serves to repay the objective evil of the transgression with another evil, but first and foremost because it creates the possibility of rebuilding goodness in the subject who suffers. This is an extremely important aspect of suffering. It is profoundly rooted in the entire revelation of the old and above all the new covenant. Suffering must serve for conversion, that is, for the rebuilding of goodness in the subject, who can recognize divine mercy in this call to repentance. The purpose of penance is to overcome evil, which under different forms lies dormant in man, and to strengthen goodness both in man himself and in his relations with others and especially with God. But in order to perceive the true answer to the why of suffering, we must turn our gaze to the revelation of divine love, the ultimate source of the meaning of all that exists. Love is also the richest source of the meaning of suffering, which always remains a mystery. We are conscious of the insufficiency and inadequacy of our explanations. Christ makes us enter into the mystery and makes us discover the why of suffering insofar as we are capable of understanding the sublimity of divine love. In order to discover the profound meaning of suffering following the revealed word of God we must open ourselves wide to the human subject in his manifold potentiality. We must, above all, accept the light of revelation not only in so far as it expresses the transcendent order of justice, but also in so far as it illuminates this order with love, as the definitive source of all that exists. Love is also the fullest source of the answer to the question of the meaning of suffering. This answer has been given by God to man in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Hail Mary, poor and humble woman, blessed by the Most High, Virgin of hope, prophecy of the new times, we join in your song of praise to celebrate the mercies of the Lord, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom and the full liberation of humanity. Hail Mary, humble servant of the Lord, Glorious Mother of Christ, Faithful Virgin, Holy Dwelling of the Word, teach us to persevere in listening to the Word, to be docile to the voice of the Spirit, attentive to His appeals in the intimacy of our conscience, and to His manifestations in the events of history. Hail Mary, 
woman of sorrow, mother of the living, virgin spouse beneath the cross, the new Eve, be our guide along the paths of the world. Teach us to live and spread the love of Christ. To stand with you beneath the innumerable crosses on which your Son is still crucified. Hail Mary, woman of faith, first of the disciples, Virgin Mother of the Church. Help us always to give an account for the hope which is in us, trusting in the goodness of man and the love of the Father. Teach us to build the world from within, in the depths of silence and prayer, in the joy of fraternal love, in the irreplaceable fruitfulness of the cross. Holy Mary, Mother of Believers, Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.